Another edition of the First Draft Podcast is here. It's Tuesday, February 16th. Field Yates joined, as always, by the two men who everyone knows as the faces of draft coverage at ESPN, Mel Kuyper Jr. and Todd McShay. Uh, as always, our podcast will be out on this Tuesday, 4 p.m. Eastern Time. And you can also check out the YouTube page on ESPN if you're into that kind of video format. Search for the First Draft Podcast. The show today will involve an update on Trevor Lawrence, more mock draft talk, and then some players might be rising up, Mel Kuyper's Big Boomer first. Mel, how are we doing today? We're doing great. Doing phenomenal. Hope Todd's good up there in Nantucket. All is well. Hopefully everybody around the country with all the weather and everybody staying safe and healthy and we can get rolling on some football here. Yeah. Kuyper, you, every single week, man, you look like you're ready to go be the captain of your ship. Take it out on, what is it, Maryland Bay? What, what do you call it? Right? I have a nautical theme always, right? You do, yeah, every right. week. I like it. You're always said, rocking and rolling back and forth. And you get the I'm trying to calm down on that a little today, Todd. Hey, no, horizontal please, stripes are hard stop. to pull off, but you're making it happen this week, Mel. Yeah, for Jay's that... got his stuff going there. Yeah, feel what you got going there. Let me see. You got I'm wearing a, yeah, I'm, I'm wearing a, like a ski quarter zip. One of those, uh, my, my mother-in-law lives out in Colorado, got me a couple of Christmases ago. So making her happy <laughs> at the very least. Uh, as I mentioned, today's show will have, a Trevor Lawrence update. We're not going to spend every podcast talking about Trevor Lawrence because we know where he's going in the draft. But this past Friday, Todd, you had the chance to travel to Clemson uh, and watch his personal pro day. Uh, For those unfamiliar, Clemson this year uh, is going to have two pro days. One designed for Trevor Lawrence early because he's going to have surgery on his non-throwing shoulder. And then another one later for the rest of the draft eligible prospects, I believe on March 12th. It was about 40 passes, Todd. And how would you describe the overall feel and the execution from Trevor Lawrence on Friday? Yeah, typically in, in situations like this, which uh, this is a, a unique one because Trevor was throwing in a date that we didn't expect. And we found out a week before that he was going to throw this early simply because of the shoulder surgery to his, his non-throwing shoulder, as you mentioned. Um, but typically I gain more from seeing the people who are there, talking to guys, you know, coaches like Urban Meyer, who has the number one overall pick as the head coach of, of the Jacksonville Jaguars, catching up with my, my good friend Joe Douglas and, and seeing everyone around and talking to Jordan Palmer, who's working with a, a few of the top quarterbacks and kind of guiding them through this process than I do from actually watching the 40, 45 passes, whatever he had uh, during the workout. But he was sharp, and you have to kind of keep it in perspective too because – typically you have all the receivers that you that you threw to during your career. But because of this and because guys are now training in Miami and Arizona and all of his receivers are all over the place or in the league from, you know, from two years ago, he had one wide receiver that he actually threw to on the field during games this past year, uh, Cornell Powell, in his, in his workout and only had four receivers there. The other three he had never really thrown to prior to two weeks before his, his workout. So – to see him in that setting and to throw the ball as well as he did, it just, you know, it just goes to show what we've always known about him. The physical tools are there. Watching him make some of the down-the-field throws. Watching him in the red zone placing the ball high where you want to see it, you know, for receivers to get the ball and into tight spots compared to, you know, some, sometimes you see these quarterbacks throw the ball right here, you know, in the middle of the chest in the red zone. That's not where you want the ball. And then the twitchiness that he has that we've seen on tape for a six foot six quarterback, long levered, and to be able to get the ball out. And then talking to Urban Meyer for a half hour the day before and throughout the workout that day, and how impressed he is with how quickly he gets the ball out in the short game, in the screen game, 
and how important that is in Urban's system. You know, what Urban wants to do in, in terms of the offense. He loves the screen game. He always has, whether it was at Florida, Ohio State, now Jacksonville, or even going back to Utah. He loves the RPO stuff. He loves he loves those quick throws, getting the ball out and letting receivers make plays after the catch. And then he and then pick your spots to throw the ball vertically. And that's what Trevor's always done a great job of. So it was kind of cool to see Urban standing next to Dabo Sweeney, the head coach of Clemson, two yards away from where the ball was being snapped under center um, for, for the entire workout and them talking the whole time and him in, interacting with Trevor. Those, those are the things that I take from a pro day like this rather than, you know, he, he missed one ball and he was, he was rolling to his left on a deep out throw or he, he fluttered two other balls. Those things don't really matter when you have all the tape that you have on Trevor Lawrence. It's seeing the decision makers interacting and talking to and, and with the, uh, the, the player that's there to, to showcase what he has. And he was six foot five and five eight. So nearly six foot six. He had 10 Rounding inch hands. Up. Yep. We, we, and of course, checked every box in terms of the measurements again. So Mel, for those of us like yourself and I, who did not watch it up close and personal, but instead watched it on TV, did anything stand out to you from Trevor Lawrence during his pro day? Well, Todd did a great job. That's what stood out for me. He was phenomenal at that workout. He was in and out of stuff very quickly. I was evaluating Todd probably as much and make sure he was good there. But now you call it, I always call it, you know, is it a waste of time? Is it a rite of passage? Why were so many teams there? Joe Douglas, you know, hey, you won too many games. You would have had, you know, Trevor Lawrence and you wouldn't be picking second. But uh, to me, it's just to basically say, okay, we did our due diligence. The Jaguars were there fine. Why other teams were there? Maybe to watch Cornell Powell, maybe to the network work a little bit, whatever, but uh, it's, I guess, what you have to do, uh, and they did it, and now we move on, and uh, Trevor Lawrence will be expected to be, you know, Peyton Manning and Andrew Luck, the elite of the elite. Uh, now, I thought Ryan Leaf could be an elite of the elite when he came out. He was right there with Peyton Manning, so he was one of the all-time busts for me in terms of a high pick, second overall. Had all those great traits, Todd, that we've talked about with quarterbacks. So, uh, over the years, I went back over the last 43 years, and we've had a lot of guys that we thought were going to be really good turn out to be really good, and we had one that really didn't turn out. So hopefully Trevor Lawrence is more like the guys I mentioned, the Andrew Lux, the John Elways, the Peyton Mannings, and say a Ryan Leaf. And we don't expect that. We didn't expect Ryan Leaf to be a disappointment either when he was right there with Peyton Manning in that draft. It was interesting too, Mel, to see – you mentioned it. 16 NFL teams had you know, were represented there, whether it was a GM, a coach, a scout. And – I, I, that shocked me. You know, when, when Clemson, when they told me 16 T, I, I expected maybe five, you know, just knowing that he's, it's a 99.99 situation that he's going to wind up being the number one overall pick to Jacksonville. Right, so um, why but, were they there? That, I, I think two things, honestly, and I, just being real with you. One is probably some teams want to self scout and see the ball come off his hand and see maybe if there's a weakness or, or something that he does that they can pick up on because they're going to have to play him. Right. And the other thing I, I think part of it is the pandemic and so many scouts live near Atlanta, Chicago, Charlotte, where the, the major airports are. Mm -hmm. And I think there are a lot of scouts in that, you know, mid Atlantic region that have been sitting at home, watching their kids every day, <laughs> trying to type up their notes and doing all this other stuff. Like, you know, I get a chance to actually go interact with other human beings and, and be around football people and, and be around football. And I, I think part of, part of the reason there were so many teams there were like, yeah, just give me a half a day away before <laughs> I have to drive back home and deal with all the other stuff. 
I'll offer this is scouting is so often comparative and we've all seen Trevor Lawrence on film. There were people that may have seen him in person for the first time. And when you're evaluating the Justin Fields and the Zach Wilson, yep. uh, The Zach Wilson's Justin Fields, Mac Jones, Trey Lance's of this draft class. It'll give you a bit of different perspective that you may not have had just physically what Justin Fields looks like vis-a-vis Trevor Lawrence, et cetera. Uh, we won't talk and a I, ton. And to your point, Field, yeah. sorry to cut you off, but I, I was talking to Urban on my, on my ride up to from from the ferry here to Logan Airport in Boston before I flew down to uh, to the pro day, and he was saying that you know Trevor, it was really cool. He said, you know, Trevor found out that he had to have surgery, mm-hmm. decided to have it on today. He's having surgery today, Tuesday. And and knew that he wanted you know he wanted to give the opportunity for people to come see him throw and go through a session, but also knew that he wasn't going to have everyone there because the pro day for uh, for Clemson is March 11th. So Urban called him specifically, not his agent, but called called Trevor and said we would love to be able to come. I've got I've got um, a Bevel my coordinator. I've got Schottenheimer my my quarterback coach. We want to see the ball come off your hand and see you live would you mind actually going through this? And he's like, yeah, I don't mind. And that kind of speaks to his competitiveness and, and just talking to him too. I mean, this guy is so normal and even keel there. You get a lot of different personalities, especially at that position, but he is, he's so easy to relate to. And I think that's why everyone loves playing with him and around him. And you can tell why he's the leader that he's, he's developed into in the last three years. Well, absent something completely unforeseen, we know he'll go first overall in the draft. And we're a week removed from Todd's second mock. We teased it during last week's show. The full thing was released uh, late Tuesday night and into Wednesday. And I know that because we're talking about Trevor Lawrence so frequently, I don't say that we forget, but we don't discuss the fact that the Jaguars have another first round pick in this year's draft as part of the Jalen Ramsey trade, the second straight year. They're scheduled to have two first round picks. Todd, uh, who did you have in your latest mock going to the Jaguars, and what need did that player fill? Uh, Levi Anzarike, yep. the defensive tackle from from Washington, and it, it may be him. I, I know. I think Mel had Christian Barmore, the defensive tackle from Alabama, sure. is the the pick there. That's certainly a spot. If you go back and look at what what Jacksonville is, you know, the struggles that they had. They gave up, I think, 153 rushing yards per game, which was third worst in the NFL. And so it, it starts up front. They need to get better up front. Their secondary is another issue in terms of where they have to improve their personnel. But, but Mel and I both gave them a defensive tackle, I think, in part because they've got to stop the run better. They've got to get more pressure on opposing quarterbacks. And um, it, won't, it won't surprise me at all after going number one with Trevor Lawrence and getting the guy that hopefully will turn around their whole franchise if they go the defensive side with that second pick at 25 overall with a defensive end tackle or somewhere in the secondary because they're really lacking in those those areas. Yeah, Mel, you, as, as Todd mentioned, you had Christian Barmore, the awesome interior defensive lineman from Alabama. Uh, so tell us a little bit more about both Levi Onzerike and also Christian Barmore and what kind of players they're going to potentially be in the NFL. Yeah, Onzerike had, a, I think, a good year in 2019. Obviously, you thought about opting out, senior bowl. You know, you're going to be coming in with guys that have played and you haven't. It's a little bit of an adjustment period there, so I won't hold that against them. I think being disruptive and finishing and getting sacks is a, is a different ball game there, and I think that's what you would have wanted to see this year, and we were not able to see it. 
with the opt-out. So he's kind of a right now more of an, I think, an early two. I think Todd, when he had him in there, was probably right. Uh, he still could be, uh, but he's borderline. Christian Barmore had a lot of sacks down the stretch. I mean, he was very, very good late in the year, mid-late in the year, as being that major league talent up front that was being a guy that was a fear-factor player getting after the quarterback. And I think that was one of the keys to Nick Saban's defense. Remember, the pass rush, so necessary uh, on that defense, uh, protecting the back end. And Barmore was a guy who was able to do it. So uh, I think he's borderline first as well. Davion Nixon from Iowa, another defensive tackle, had a really good year this year. Uh, that one year, that body work this season, may have put him in the late first, early second round discussion. As Todd said, cornerback Kelvin Joseph uh, from Kentucky, fast riser. I got a mock coming out on uh, what a week from, uh, from this Thursday, February 25th. And Kelvin Joseph may be in round one. He's my 25th highest rated player now. Like what I've seen of him. Like what he showed early on at LSU. He had four interceptions this year. Won a pick six against Tennessee. One interception against Mac Jones. He's got size. He's got length. He's got great recovery speed. He was recruited by everybody. Alabama, Florida, Auburn. One of them coming out of the state of Louisiana. As I say, went to LSU. One year at Kentucky. Over six foot, 195 pounder with four, three, five speed, long arms. I think Kelvin Joseph could be a guy that they look at along with J.C. Horn, his cornerback from South Carolina. Yeah, going back to Barmore, too, I, I watched his tape today just to kind of finish up his evaluation on film. Yeah. And he didn't play in the first game. He wasn't a starter against Texas A&M. I think it was the second game for Alabama. And then I, I went to the Florida tape, and he had – at that point, it was a career-high five tackles, was all over the field. And then the college football playoff, those two games, I mean, you just see the progression – Every game you watch with him getting better and better. And he may never be a, in a, he's not going to be an elite pass rusher, but he's disruptive. He's going to move the pocket, get the quarterback off the spot. He's got quick hands, quick feet, and he's really stout, tough versus the run. And also I, his effort, you know, chasing down guys from behind and, and diving and trying to make tackles. I mean, he, he laid it on the field. You could tell he, it kind of started to click for him midseason and he just got better and better as the season progressed. Can he be a guy, Todd, that plays on basically any situation or in basically any situation? Because if he can't, you know, you got to be a pretty special player if you're going to be basically a run-stuffing specialist. Can Barmore play? You know, you mentioned his pass rush ability. Can he play yeah. enough that he could be on the field for 60 to 75% of the snaps? Yeah, I mean, there's only one Aaron Donald, right? Right. But he – He's not your typical Alabama defensive tackle that we've seen or, you know, that five technique playing on the inside defensive end over the over like a 15 year span. He's more than what Nick Saban was trying to get in terms of guys that are a little bit more twitchy and can get to the quarterback and, and bring a little bit more in terms of the concern that an offense and an offensive line has with him penetrating, getting up the field, and, and, and frustrating quarterbacks. So, again, he's not going to be an elite pass rusher, but I think he could be a four, five, six sack guy a year and a guy who, if he's in there on a third down, an obvious passing down, he's able to, to at least get your quarterback off the spot or, or force a double team because he's so quick, quick and strong. He's got that combination. Mel, any closing thoughts on one of many Bama prospects that we expect to hear his name called in the 2021 draft? Yeah, I think when you look at the Alabama players' field, and, and of course, Barmore's borderline, but I think Patrick Sertan II, to me, Todd, in field was one of the tougher evaluations. It is one of the tougher evaluations. Hmm. I like the experience, like his fundamentals, his technique. 
Uh, yeah, beaten some. Uh, yeah, the recovery ability at times. Caleb Farley, I went back and looked at him in 2019. He was so good, Todd. I mean, Caleb Farley yeah. really had a good year. And he's got length, a former wide receiver. Uh, got it doesn't tackle well. Now, that's something he's got to show right. more toughness and, and, and tackle and be more consistent in that area. But in coverage, he located. He was getting those late pass breakups. I mean, he was really a, a lockdown cover corner in 2019. So I look at Farley. Had he played this year, I think he could have been a top five pick. I mean, heck, uh, Okuda went way up there. Why couldn't Caleb Farley have gone up there? The only thing prevents you from going too crazy with the rating. I have a nine right now on the big board with Sir Pan at 15 is the fact he didn't play. Right. And he's a former wide receiver. You want to see him, as I say, support the run and tackle a little better than he did in 2019. But as a cover man, as a guy will impress in workouts, anxious to see his pro day, uh, Caleb Farley, you can't forget about. He didn't play. He's still a great talent. And I think by the time we get to late April, uh, he may be the first cornerback coming off the board. Yeah, they're, they're different corners when you watch him. And because Sertan, you know, with his, his background, obviously his dad, I think, was in the league for 14 years, I want to say. And and playing for Nick Saban, you see the discipline, the run support, his his willingness to tackle and, and get off of blocks and do all those things. And then when you see him press, press wide receivers and, and reroute them, I, that's where I think he's at his best. Sometimes, you know, he does a really good job of, of studying quarterbacks' eyes and, and following where the quarterback's going. And then he kind of has to figure out where the receiver is at times. And that – it's, it's both a positive and a negative because sometimes he lost the receiver, but for the most part, he, he was able to shut him down. And he, but he's such a pro. He's physical. He's got all, basically everything you look for. But Farley, you're right. He's not the tackler. He's not quite as tough and physical. But I would say if you, if you gave me one one-on-one against a number one receiver, Farley I would probably choose over Sertan. But if you said in a game in the right system – Sertan may be the guy that you that you want because he, he brings a little bit more, just a little bit more in terms of the, the whole package that you need at, at corner, especially now in the league with so many screens and, and RPOs and the quick slants. You've got to be able to tackle and, and be right there when the ball gets there. Hi, this is ESPN's Mike Greenberg, and ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sports book of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today, and new users get $100 in bonus bets for making any sports book bet. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's number 8, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, Try Jet's signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's number eight, S-A-V-E. Jet's pizza, better because it has to be. John, we have a rule with mock drafts. It's like you try not to read the comments or the Twitter mentions because, I don't know, 98% of them are likely frustrations, not like 
Hey, I love Maybe that fit for my team. Everything's really nice to me. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. Well, uh, so of all the nice things that were said about your mock draft over the past week, is there something that stood out? Was there either one point that was consistently brought up that maybe you found most interesting amongst the reactions? There were two, Phil. Okay. There were two things. First of all, just and whether it was positive, negative, or just the discussion, the Jets at number two. Yeah. You know, it, so are, are you saying, McShay, that, that, that Zach Wilson's going to be the pick and that they're moving Sam Darnold? And no one actually – I've learned this over time. No one actually reads what you write in the blurb. They just read the name, you know, and then they move on to the next thing or they, they get on their phones. So what I tried to explain in the blurb was it's more about Zach being the number two pick because I think if it's not the Jets, if they stick with Sam, then, then they're going to wind up, you know, moving out of that spot to a team – like a Carolina sitting at eight that could move up. And if they, if they wind up moving Sam and getting more draft capital, then I I think that they would stay there at number two and take Zach. So that's, that's basically, that that was the biggest thing that I read in terms of social media or, or, you know, interviews, sports centers, all the other things. Everyone wanted to start there. It's like, all right, Trevor's one. Now let's get into the draft at two. The other thing was, you know, Having, um, having Justin Fields, the Ohio State quarterback, behind Trey Lance, the North Dakota State quarterback, and having him go at four, it's like I put him in the third round. <laughs> Everyone was losing their mind. Listen, he, he could easily be the second pick. He could be the third pick. But from my vantage point and what I've seen, and then also talking to several different GMs, college coordinators, and guys in the league just to see if I was missing something, there are a lot of people that believe that Trey Lance and certainly Zach Wilson are, are ahead of him in, in terms of where he could be in the league. That doesn't mean that, that, you know, the team picking at three, Atlanta sitting at four, who, whoever it is, it doesn't mean they have the same opinion. I'm just saying it's, it, I'm not the only one that thinks that that's a possibility. I feel like the beginning of this show, after the intro, we should roll a pre-recorded message. One, <laughs> yes, Todd and Joe Douglas went to college and played football together at Richmond. No, that does not mean that Todd knows exactly what Joe's Joe, going to do. I don't right? ask Joe a damn thing. Right. About right. The draft. Need, I, I to, would never put him in that position. So I probably know less about the Jets than I do, you know, 15 other teams because I just, because we're good friends, I would never ask him. So we need to have that as one of our, like, if we could pin this to the top of the show. And the second one is, and as I asked you last week about Lance over Fields, three over four, and the conversation quickly evolved into, Fields, I could have had him, I could have, could have been Lance two, Wilson three, Fields four, could have been Fields two, Wilson three, Lance four. It's at this point, we are splitting uh, the narrowest of, of hairs here, right? I mean, we're, we are. Yeah, really the only looking- thing I'll say is I, I really do believe that Wilson's number two. Okay. And, and Mel and I can get into this with his big board coming out and, and what his, his thoughts are. But in my opinion, like I said last week, it's Lawrence one gap, Wilson two gap, and then, and then the, the next two quarterbacks and Lance and Fields. Mel, do you agree with that, that tiering? A couple of things. First of all, I'm 20 years older than Todd. It took him this long to figure out that they don't read the little write-up. <laughs> 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 I mean, Todd, you got a five-second attention span, pal. <laughs> they ain't reading all wisdom. All, right. all your wisdom. All right, so the old guy figured out how the kids think these days. Not McShay. I'm amazed at that. But also, why the heck he gave the Ravens a corner? I'm still a little upset about that. Feel we need a corner. That's our 16th lead. <laughs> just, okay. just, just a needle, you bud. 
Now, I knew you did that for a reason. J.C. Horn, good player, wrong area of concern there as far as positional need area. But uh, in terms of, of, of the way the quarterbacks line up, guys, Todd's right. You could look at, at the field's Wilson battle, if we want to call it that, and throw Lance in there and say, okay, how do you figure it out? And I wanted to put these quarterbacks, when I did the big board, at 7, 8, and then 12, 13 for a reason. There was kind of method to the madness. Because I really believe we're forcing quarterbacks up way too high every year. We do it every year. Look at from 2009 to 2016. If Carson Wentz is traded, I'll be 0-22 with the team that drafted them. Wow. And it's a reason why all those, some of those guys get way pushed away because they're quarterbacks. So you got to have them. It's the most important position. I get it. But I guarantee you our ratings are always higher on these quarterbacks a lot of times than they should should be so I, i'm trying not to fall into that trap. and you started the fight two weeks ago about stafford right the right fight that i had with you about stafford and i, and I said you were asinine with your comments on it and i there's the, the first time and i think the only time an executive has called me and said all right let's cool it with you know let's let's go easy on each other but they said, call me. that's an, they called me on that yeah they called me because i said asinine uh, Did you? I'll never forget it. It was like the first real fight we had. <laughs> I don't on, care what you say, Todd. I know you don't. And that's what, I, that's what I told the person who called. Anyway, the point is, with Stafford, my point was I don't have him as high as some of the other players that went in the draft at different positions. And if we keep rising these quarterbacks up, you're, it's kind of, it could be fool's gold. But now, when the, with the salary cap being different, and after the CBA was restructured, like Sam Bradford's year, he made – it was like 50-something million – and then Cam Newton was the number one overall pick, I think, the next year, and he made $25 million. And so the cap hit is different, and it doesn't set you back a decade. It sets you back maybe two or three years. Mm-hmm. So I think that's part of the reason why we're seeing quarterbacks go higher because teams know, hey, we can get rid of this guy in two, three years if it doesn't work out, and we can recover. Yeah, what I did, Field, what I did here was after Trevor and before Justin Fields and Zach Wilson, I said, okay – Who's really deserving as a player at that position to be somebody I feel more safe with, I feel more confident with? And Penny Sewell, the left tackle, he opted out. But, boy, what a year in 2019. We know what Devontae Smith and Jamar Chase, the two receivers, did. We know what Kyle Pitts, the tight end from Florida, did. Tight end receive. I call him a receiving entity, not a tight end. And Jalen Waddle, we know what he was doing before the ankle. I think those guys, Sewell, Smith, Chase, Pitts, and Waddle, that's five guys that I think belong ahead of the quarterbacks, in my opinion. Okay. Just on rating and what we know about them throughout their careers at their respective positions. Then you get into the Fields-Wilson debate, Caleb Farley, Patrick Sertan, the second debate, where Micah Parsons' linebacker will fall, where Rashawn Slater is he a tackle guard, will he fall, then Mac Jones, Trey Lance, and all that. So I, I really think those five players, Todd, for me, deserve to be way up there. That's the way I see it, Todd. I think I'm going to maintain those five between Lawrence and whoever the next quarterback is come late April. Well, really interesting. I mean, just to sort of, you know, viewing a big board and seeing how far quarterbacks will be relative to where they'll wind up being drafted. We should chart that year over year because I'd imagine to your guys' point that more often than not, uh, the quarterbacks are much, much higher than their big board ranking would suggest. And speaking of quarterbacks, Todd, uh, one that you had in your mock was Mac Jones going to the Bears, and that was part of a trade scenario. And I think Bears fans are going to be a little bit triggered right now with quarterbacks in the draft, um, especially those that – not that Mac Jones doesn't have a lot of fans, but he's not viewed as a slam-dunk franchise quarterback like a Trevor Lawrence would be, or maybe even some of the other quarterbacks that we've discussed. Um, this isn't 
Mitch Trubisky, though, don't you feel like Mac is such a different prospect and player? And in terms of like floor versus ceiling, it feels like a much different conversation as well. Yes. I mean, the, the one similarity that you can draw between the two is really just one year as a full time starter. Sure. You know, because sure. Mitch, I think Mitch was 13 starts. That's right. and, yep. and with Mac, it's 17 because he started four games a year ago and then in 13 this past year. Mac didn't lose. Yeah. Mac had a lot more talent around him, too. I mean, three guys yeah. in the offensive line that are going to get drafted. Waddle was there for the first, I think, five games as a first-round pick at wide receiver. Devontae Smith had one of the best years, if not the best year, wide receiver in the history of college football. And then Najee Harris is, is going to be a first-round – should be a first-round uh, draft pick at the running back position. So right. that's what makes, makes it difficult. The progression that he made from when he first started in, in 2019 – and, and where he was early in the season to where he was in the middle of the season and at the end, it was, it, it was fun to watch. I mean, he just – the confidence grew. He's highly – I think he had a 3.99 GPA, picked up things so quickly, uh, processes things quickly on the field, which is – you know, you can be really smart and, and pick things up in the, in the quarterback room but not be able to translate it to the practice field and then to the game. And he did all of those things. So I, – I, Listen, I, I get the Trubisky part, but I agree. I think it's different. I think I think with Mac Jones, he's going to come into the league hungry. He's, he's a competitor. Uh, he's not as mobile as Trubisky, but I but he's his football intelligence level is higher. And even though it's only three more games that he started, he feels like a seasoned veteran compared to what Trubisky was after that just one season starting at North Carolina. Mel, is it fair to say that the three years? nearly three years that Mac spent on the bench at Alabama carried more value than the two years that Mitch spent not starting for North Carolina between the players he was learning behind the system he was in and the pieces around him that Todd referenced. Yeah, I think it probably did help him. Uh, Even last year in those four games, you saw the progression there. Uh, You didn't think back in August though, that it was going to be enough to move him into the first round discussion and to his credit, uh, he was spectacular. And we can talk about all the talent around him all we want. Burrow had a lot of talent around him, a phenomenal mm-hmm. amount. Probably more talent than any quarterback in the history of college football has ever had. I mean, he had mm-hmm. the best offensive line in college football. He had a first-round running back. He had two elite receivers, Justin Jefferson and Jamar Chase. So, to me, you know, that didn't hurt Joe Burrow. He's going to be great. I mean, hopefully he's coming back now. Looks like he's coming back very well from the injury. But I think when you look at Mac, he didn't have Waddle after the 24th of October. He still was doing well. And to me, when you look at, at, as Todd said, the smarts and the way he was at the senior bowl, which really impressed me. And to me, I don't mind being a team that's going to let somebody else make those tough calls and then let a quarterback fall to me. It's no pressure on that team. They're taking whoever was left. Think about Ben Roethlisberger, Phillip Rivers, and Eli. Ben was the third quarterback. Steelers were happy. Josh Allen, Baker Mayfield went. Sam Darnold went. There's Josh Allen. No problem. No pressure coming on him. Lamar Jackson was a fifth quarterback at the end of the first round that year. Deshaun Watson, third quarterback taken. Justin Herbert, third quarterback taken. What did the Chargers say? We'll take whatever one's left. Turned out to be Justin Herbert. Worked out pretty good, right? I don't think in the past drafts you've seen a problem for those teams that were sitting there thinking, we're not going to get the guy that we wanted, but we're going to let the tough calls be made by somebody else, and we're going to get a quarterback that we feel comfortable with but the tough calls and all the criticisms are going to go to those guys. Ain't going to be going to us because we didn't have to make a call. We took the quarterback that fell to us. It's, it's, it's fascinating. Uh, you're, the interesting part about like letting other people 
make those picks on quarterback smell is just that I often feel like teams that are taking a quarterback in the first round are those that go into the first round expecting it to be the area they address. So you kind of, it's 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 hard to be patient while also picking a quarterback in the first round. feels like it's relatively uncommon. And we've never seen an offseason like this field with, with the quarter, the veteran quarterbacks. I mean, mm-hmm. we talked about last week, it, by the time this podcast comes out, Carson Wentz could be moved. And maybe right. it's Chicago, maybe it's Indy. Yep. And now his value is not nearly as good as, as, as he was hoping and that the, the Eagles were hoping. And so, there, you know, I, I'm hearing rumors about maybe two second-round picks rather than two or three first-round picks, which was outrageous to begin with. But – the point is, there's so much uncertainty with Deshaun Watson and, and what's going on in, you know, with Dak uh, Prescott in Dallas. And, and right. is, is David Carr going to get moved from Oakland? Like, there's yeah, so yeah. many big-name quarterbacks and guys that can be plug-and-play starters for other teams between now and the end of April. The picture that we're seeing now, I have to assume, is going to be vastly different from the picture that we see in the last weekend of, uh, of April. Uh, Mel, uh, your big board obviously includes a lot of players that are not just quarterbacks. You've been referencing it throughout the show. Your new big board is out. And the idea of risers versus fallers during the pre-draft process, sometimes those on the inside say it's not guys that are rising or falling. You're just catching up to them. But let's be honest. I think clearly on our side, there are players whose value increases during the season or during the pre-draft process. Let's get to some of the players. So when I say to you, players that are on the rise as of February 16th, who are some of those that come to mind first? Well, I think, you know, you look at, at Vera Tucker from USC, an offensive lineman that played left tackle, guard. Uh, that versatility, I think, is going to push him up. He's at 16 right now uh, on the big board. Elijah Vera Tucker from USC. Uh, you have teams like Minnesota, the Chargers. I think, Todd, you might have had him going to the Chargers. Minnesota is another team that certainly could look for offensive line help. Um you think about where certain guys, you know, J.C. Horn, Todd had going to Baltimore. I like J.C. Horn, the cornerback, his father, Joe Horn, obviously former NFL wide receiver, had him at 21. Uh, and I mentioned Kelvin Joseph. I had him at 25, the cornerback from Kentucky. I like to see Todd. I, I don't know. I, I'm just looking at three games from this year. And, boy, I'll tell you what. He breaks on the ball. He's athletic. He'll stick his nose in there and tackle. He's a great athlete. He looks the part. I'm looking at Kelvin Joseph as a first-round pick come my mock draft next Thursday. Where is he on your board? I'm at 25. What number is he right now on your board? This is this is my classic Kuiper. You know, everyone everyone goes. <laughs> everyone Why? Goes and, and what, you know, where the don't call it answer. Who, I know. Who are in the top? The first thing I do when I'm told that hey, we're going to discuss Kuiper's big board. The first thing I do is go look at those last three or four picks, or you know, the last three or four spots, because this is what you love to do. You, and I've said it before, you love to take a guy that maybe you believe is a second rounder, but you're going to put him on the big board to get that attention so that on draft day, if he goes in the first or the second, you could say, hey, McShay, you know, back in February, I had him at number 25 on my board. He's going early in the second. This is a great value. I told you how good this player is. Listen, I like him too. I'll say this though. The player I liked on that defense even more than Joseph at corner was uh, Jameen Davis, the mm-hmm. linebacker. I think I mean both of them to me are, are second round prospects. Uh, they they both played lights out, and and I, I do I love the way he he breaks on the ball. He had he he has really good Joseph does has really good body control, and that that's so important as a corner. You've got to be able to be in a full shuffle, you know, full pedal, 
and then be able to stop on a dime and stick with that receiver as he makes a sharp cut. And he's able to do that. So I listen, if it's late first, early second, you'll be talking about him at the draft because you put him at number 25 in February. But, uh, but Davis really stood out as well. I, I think he's, he brings a lot to the table in terms of being all over the field, being able to cover and, and being an every down linebacker. By the way, before, Phil, before we get to something, I, I was just thinking about <laughs> while Todd was talking about the, the person, the higher up that called you about asinine. Yep. I think I know who it is. <laughs> All right. You're going to guess how this well, person I, still, I think this a person I still works with us. Still will our will boss, be, so. I won't mention his name on the podcast, but I think I know who called you, Todd. Okay. We got an offline conversation forthcoming. <laughs> uh, Mel, just you have to my cell number, Mel. Close the circle it. on Elijah Vera Tucker from USC. Is he your third rated offensive lineman right now? And if so, how narrow is the gap between he and Rashawn Slater from Northwestern? Interesting group of players. That's why really guys, it, it's, it's trying to rate these players this year. I don't know if it's been this difficult ever because of the information or lack of we're, yeah. in, we're in almost in March and we don't know macro measurables. on so a lot of these guys, uh, we're just figuring out who was in the draft, who was out. Uh, these super seniors that are going back, we scouted, now they're not there. But I think to the point about offensive linemen, Slater, I think, can be a tackle. Uh, I'm not projecting the guard. I think left tackle, right tackle is where I'm going to put him. I got an 11 now on a big board. If I would have had him at guard, I would have moved him down a little bit. I think he can be a tackle. Vera Tucker was impressive at left tackle, but he'll be a guard. I think he's right now the third offensive lineman off the board. I do like Christian Derisaw from Virginia Tech. I thought he had a really good year at left tackle. You know, about maintaining your frame between the defensive end and the quarterback at all times. He did it, and he got movement. I mean, he was really moving defenders and aggressive as a run blocker. Uh, I thought he had as good a year as any player that was draft eligible. You can make it hard from a consistency from game to game. Uh, some people will be a right tackle in the NFL. All I know is he goes somewhere, I think, fit to late first round. Uh, but I think those offensive linemen, to try to stack them one after another, I would still go Slater, then Vera Tucker, then Darisaw. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Mel, can I ask you two questions? Sure. I wouldn't put you on the spot with this first one. But I know you have that the photo, photographic memory, and you can remember your big boards from, from 43 years ago. 
Have you ever you have Kyle Pitts, the Florida tight end, as you call him, a, you know, pass catcher? Uh, but the Florida tight end at number five in your big board, right? Yes. Have you ever had a tight end that high? No, I don't think so. Uh, I mean, I go back to Kellen Winslow Senior. Kellen Winslow Senior. Senior. I scouted Kellen Winslow Senior when he was at Missouri and was a great player for the Chargers. You know, and he had a very high grade when he came out. Um, But when you really go back to tight ends, like I say, he's a receiver. I I get he's a receiving entity. I don't know how we can. We got to come up with a name. For that that yeah. combo, I just call him pass catchers. Yeah, yeah, whatever, because that's what he is. And I just felt like put him at five uh, with Waddle there. But in terms of, of a true tight end, I'm with you, Todd. Up there at five, I mean, some people might have him a little higher than that, some a little lower. But he's certainly in the top ten. There's no guarantee. There's no, uh, I think, no debate about that. Would go in the top ten? Maybe, maybe not. I, I think the Giants are as far as he will drop. Uh, just because of the position and what they need and what other teams who other players may force up there with the quarterbacks. Uh, But what I'm going to have a problem with Todd and and field in this mock draft next week was created by McShay by doing these weird trades, these crazy (laughs) trades all over the place. Uh, I don't know what I'm going to do. Frankly, in 43 years, I've never done this. This is new. This is new territory for me trying to figure out. I'm keeping you up to date, bud. What's that? I'm keeping you up to date, bud. Trying to get me into this era, I I, I can't believe we finally are doing it. I like I kind of <laughs> like it, uh, but I, I probably will project some trade at some point. But to me, you know, this draft, and, and I don't know if I've ever seen. And I'm still going even at players now in terms of the big board that I looked at one or two games from this. I want to go to three or four. So yeah. I think what I tried to, and I urge you last week. I'm gonna say it again. Just be patient with this stuff because. Week to week, don't be afraid to say you were wrong on a player. You might look at him a little long, oh, hey, a little too high. We're always afraid to say that. I've never been. McShay tends to be more afraid to say it than I am. But, you know, you know if we're wrong, we're wrong. Please. I'm just kidding, Todd. You know that. Just kidding. <laughs> no, no need for anybody to call me. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> but that's the way it is. I think to lock into a rating now, I think, is, in Todd's words, asinine. And going back, going back to tight end, I, I want to say it's – I think Pitts, if he's a top 10 pick, will be either the 10th or 11th in the history of the draft to go in the top 10. I mean, that's how rare it is to see a, a tight end to go. And the second question, you had Fields ahead of Zach Wilson, which surprised me at, at the quarterback position. Talk me through it, Mel. It's a hard one. I had Fields there all along. My thing was, do I go with the quarterback who was more impressive against cupcakes? and can spin it and his athletic basketball background in high school with Zach Wilson or Justin Fields, who was remarkable in 2019. Uh, you know, and I, I don't want to excuse away not having Crystal Lobby. That shouldn't have been enough for the Northwestern game, but the interrupted season at Ohio State, the COVID issues, not knowing who you're playing, who's, what's in, it's out, all, all the things that went on this year that made it a very difficult season. Then to see him play the way they did it, you know, against Clemson, on the same field with Trevor Lawrence. When Todd, we talked about Trey Lance having all this pressure on him on October 3rd, right? It was the only game of the season. Yep. All eyes were on him. It was kind of like the Super Bowl for him, right? Yeah. And he, and he struggled. He struggled. Now, was it pressure? Was it pressing? Was it rust? I don't know. But you flip it to Justin Fields. He had the same amount of pressure because of the struggles. I called him pickups against Indiana and Northwestern. He had that same amount of pressure on him on that field against Trevor Lawrence. They both came out of high school with similar grades. Here they are. Semifinal game. 
He's not expected to be able to do it, and he did it. And he got hurt, and he still did it. And the guts, I think the, the, just the competitiveness in that game to go out and do what he did, I, I got to give him big kudos. And that's why yeah. it's hard for me with the schedule Zach played. And I've always had fields ahead of Wilson. I'm not, I haven't changed anything. I'm waiting it out. And I haven't seen pro days yet, measurables we haven't gotten yet. Bottom line is this is kind of like affirmed an alley dart. I always reference the, the triple crown races because it was that close. Hmm. And it's that close with these two quarterbacks, I believe, and Justin Fields and Zach Wilson coming down the stretch. Really interesting. I mean, it, it will be a process that, of course, uh, could change things a little bit over the next couple of months, as Mel mentioned, because of the pro days and measurements and faux combines and what have you. But it's inter- it is interesting to hear that, at least for now, and again, these are Tuesday, February 16th remarks, Todd has Wilson over Fields and Mel has Fields over Wilson, very much subject to change as we move forward here. Uh, last thing here, Mel, just any other names that you wanted to clean up and add from the big board that have moved in the right direction for you recently? Really, I think you look at a guy that I love, Jeremiah, and, and I'm going to give us to Todd. We always say, who is your guys? Who is Todd's guys? Okay. Todd had them. I, I like them. He, I remember a year and a half ago, maybe two. I don't remember what it was. Todd was mentioned. Jeremiah owusu Koromo. Yeah, watching Notre Dame's defense, and he wasn't in the draft. I was like, who is this guy? Who's six? He's all, he's all over the field. And he's right. A thousand percent correct. Uh, that was a great call early on on him. And he is nothing but a consistent all-around player. I mean, you mm. watch him cover. You watch him play outside, making plays in space, getting behind, getting into the backfield. He's smart. When he got Some of the tackles he made in one-on-one open field situations were remarkable. I, I haven't seen a lot of that in recent years. He did it. I, you know, so I think if he would have had more sacks, you know, I understand the edge guys. It's not that he's a complete linebacker, versatile linebacker. I'm at 14. I think he's going to be a really good pick for somebody. He's going to, I think you talk about who the best pure football players in this draft, Todd and field. I think Jeremiah Wusu Koromoa deserves to be way, way up there. You thought have that. I mean, if this was your guy, tell us more. Yeah. I just, in today's NFL, what you, you don't want is for a guy to be on the field for one or two downs and then have to sub them out. And especially with teams going to tempo and switching it up. You want a guy that you, you can trust playing, you know, that, that will linebacker spot off the, off the line, off the ball, and then being able to put him in that, I call the overhang, basically covering the tight end or being in that area with the, a lot of the RPOs and, and different things that go on outside the tackle box. So he now can play the run. He can cover. You can bring him basically on a cat blitz, we call it like a corner blitz, but he's, he's a linebacker that's coming off the edge. And he can do all three things at a very high level. And the tackling, as Mel, you know, references, in, in, in this league and the way the game is going, playing in space, tempo on and off, and so much of it being screen game and, and just trying to get the ball out and, and letting receivers and, and different offensive weapons go make plays, you got to have a linebacker like that that can be on the field every single down and cover, you know, cover all those bases that you need. Devin White – Levante yes. David, Devin White's a perfect the Bucs showed it, right? I mean, the Bucs showed it this past Super Bowl. That was a huge part of their success, uh, not just during the Super Bowl, but also in the run leading up to the Super Bowl. So again, a reminder, Mel's next mock draft comes out Thursday, February 25th. So we'll have another show before then. In the meantime, do us a favor, if you're so inclined, rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcast. And if you want to see some of the video work that we are doing, you can head over to ESPN's YouTube page and just search 
first draft. Todd, Mel, talk to you again, same time, same place next week.